to 1 Corinthians 3 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Now, there may be someone here this morning. Maybe you weren't raised in, in uh, a Word of Faith church or, or charismatic, time, whatever you want to call it. You might hear some things today that might shock you. You might hear some scriptures and me pulling some things out of scriptures that you might say, wow, I've never seen it like that before. I, I, like I said before, I'm going to prove things out of the word. My opinion doesn't matter. It does not matter one bit, right? It's the word of God that changes lives. So this morning, I want to continue on with the series of prayer. Keys to an effective prayer life, part three. Hallelujah. Now, I said in previous messages uh, that I've done on this, that certain things will not come to pass in your life unless you pray for that thing to happen. I've also went a step further, and I said this. There are certain things that God wants to come to pass on this earth. But unless there's a yielded vessel on this earth to take action and pray for that thing, that won't even come to pass. All right? Bold statement, isn't it? I believe that everything that God does on this earth is first of all prayed in for by an individual that's prompted by the Holy Spirit. Now, either they're praying for it in uh, their natural, pray, natural language, or it's prayed in by tongues, by praying in the Spirit. But I believe that someone on this earth, God uses to activate His will to take place on this earth. Now, that may have been something you never heard before. But either way, I believe someone is praying for that thing to come to pass on this earth. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says this, For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. Now, that word husbandry, don't let it throw you off. It means tillage or garden. You are God's garden. It's interesting in Hosea, the book of Hosea, the Lord tells us, break up your fallow ground. It's talking about your heart, the hard places of your heart. And it's interesting here that you are God's garden. That's a whole other topic, though. And you are God's building. Now, so we are laborers together with God. In that one scripture, we get this principle, that God is looking for a partnership with mankind on this earth. God is looking for a partnership. Uh, part of that laboring together with God is through prayer. Part of that laboring together with God is through prayer. Now, that's why I said in the past, I said, there is unlimited power available to the Christian who is totally yielded and led by the Holy Spirit in prayer. And in all areas of your life, any Christian, it, what does the word yield mean? It means to, yield, to stop doing your thing and, and yield to God's ways. Act and, and, and live for God. Do what he wants you to do. And there's unlimited power that you can tap into as a Christian when you're totally yielded, surrender, surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So listen to this now. I'm going to make some statements here. God is counting on his people to obey the promptings and leadings of his Holy Spirit. He's counting on us. It says that we're laborers together with God. He's looking for a partnership on this earth. 
Now, the Holy Spirit will not prompt you or I to pray for something just to waste our time. <laughs> Amen. The Holy Spirit's not going to prompt us to pray for something just to waste our time. By the way, let me mention this. If God, would, wants to, if God could do anything he wants anytime without our partnership, without our involvement, why would the Holy Spirit even prompt a Christian to pray for something? If, if God could just intervene and do what he wants in that situation, why would he even waste the time prompting us by his Holy Spirit to pray for that thing? I'll tell you why. I mentioned it in the past. Get the CDs if you don't have them. You can request a free copy back there. Because God gave dominion, authority to mankind on this earth. Remember when God created Adam? He gave dominion to Adam, to mankind. So, he gave dominion to mankind. So, for God to operate and for things to come to pass of his will, he needs that partnership. Labors together with God. That's why I said there's total, unlimited power to the Christian who's yielded to the will and purpose of God on this earth, to the Holy Spirit. Right? He gave man authority. And I mentioned in the past uh, series that God himself, Jesus, had to come and put on an earth suit, a physical body, to have authority on this earth. Even God himself didn't break his own spiritual law that he put into motion. Jesus became a man. He had to become a man to redeem mankind, to have authority on this earth. And by the way, Jesus, when he was on this earth, he didn't, miracles didn't operate in his life. He didn't walk in that authority because he was the son of God, by the way. He was a man anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's our example. And I told you before, Jesus couldn't be our example if he came as God only. Because how could you compare man with God? But God came down to mankind's level. He put on an earth suit. And he had authority on this earth. You understand that? So, my question to you was, if God could do anything he wants anytime without intervention of mankind or you and I as Christians, why would the Holy Spirit even prompt you to pray? Well, that'd be foolish, right? Why would he waste our time then? Why didn't he just do it? Certain things won't come to pass in your own life unless you're praying for that thing to come to pass. So many people are waiting on God. God, you know, oh, I did or, or I mentioned, you know, someone said... I heard people say, well, I don't even need to pray about that thing. God knows what I need. He knows what I need. I don't even have to ask. Well, you're just going to keep going on without that thing. Because the, in James it says, you have not because what? You ask not. Think about it. We've got to start exercising our authority. The authority that God himself has given us on this earth. He put it into motion. So God, you could say this. God limits himself according to our prayers on this earth. And I'm going to get into that in a moment. Amen. Hallelujah. So basically this, you do your part and God will do his part. It's a partnership on this earth. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 
Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice you decide if something's going to be loosed or bound on this earth. And something had to happen on earth before it moves in heaven. Are you catching this? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, out of pure ignorance of knowing what God's word says, uh, I've heard many people say, well, God's too busy for me. God doesn't have time for me. And that's all it is, is pure ignorance of the word. But if you maintain that kind of an attitude, you will be missing out on much of the blessings and benefits that are yours through Jesus Christ on this earth. Amen. Saying a statement like that is just pure ignorance. What I mean by ignorance? A lack of knowledge of God's word. And it's interesting in Hosea, the word of God says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. He didn't say the world. He didn't say sinner in that verse. Now we know someone, a sinner is, you know, they're on their way to hell if they don't receive Jesus. But it said, my people, Christians, are destroyed because of lack of knowing the word of God. So now who's going to be held responsible for that? Of course, the person, the individual, because they have no excuse. God has given us his written word right here. And you can open it up anytime you want and read it and find out what belongs to you. Secondly, pastors, I believe the pastor, who that individual is under, will also be held accountable. In Acts 20, verse 28, it says, to the, uh, it says, feed the church of God that the Holy Spirit made you overseers. He's talking to church leaders. And if that individual who that, that, that pastor of that individual that they're sitting under is not here in the full counsel of God, I'll tell you, Pastor Jim can attest to this. There's a huge responsibility in the ministry, amen, for a pastor. But don't kid yourself. Don't hide behind that curtain. You have the word of God too. You can open it up on your own free will too. Right? So don't be hiding behind the curtain of your pastor. Hallelujah. Turn with me to John 14. John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. The initial thought of someone who hears a message like this about how God needs us on this earth, they, blasphemy. No, it's in the Word. <laughs> Amen. He's looking for a partnership. Uh, God, like I said, God limits himself according to our prayers. Why would he even prompt us to pray for something if he could do it without our intervention? In fact, let me, let me say this. I can't think of a scripture reference offhand, but he said where he was looking for a man to stand in the gap. You remember that verse? He was looking. He goes, and I found none. God said he was looking for someone for, to, to thwart the judgment of Sodom. He goes, I was looking for a man, for a person who would stand in the gap. He goes, but I found none. That gives me two clues. First clue, if someone interceded, there could have been a change in that situation. Number two, it says God was looking for someone. Well, if God could have done it on his own, why was he looking? Isaiah 59, 16. Thank you, brother. That's the reference. Look, look at it for yourself. Hallelujah. 
Now, John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Let's dig into this a little bit more. How many want an effective prayer life here? Raise your hand. Amen. Well, if we follow the word, you're going to have it. John 14, 13 through 14. Jesus said these words. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. That's pretty specific, isn't it? There's no wondering, am I going to get one? He said, if you ask anything in my name. Well, now you might be sitting there, and just like I did, you know, back in the day, wondering, well, then what's he talking about in my name? Because that's the key right there. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So the key to that verse is praying for something in Jesus' name. But what does it mean? Does it mean simply to tack on at the end of your prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> no, it don't mean that at all. Well, goodness, you know, someone could be praying for someone to get a divorce so they could hook up with them and say, in Jesus' name, amen. That's foolish to say that, right? So it must mean something else. Let's take a look. I believe, now follow me here. I believe Jesus is saying here that in my name means this. If you ask anything in my name or according to the word of God, I will do it. Why do I say that? John chapter 1 verses 1. In John chapter 1 verses 14 refer to Jesus Christ as what? The word. So, asking something in his name is asking something according to the word or the will of God. Now, so in verse 13, Jesus said that he would do it or grant it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Right? He said he would grant it so the Father would be glorified in the Son. Well, listen to me. God can only be glorified if his word is being exalted. And we are praying according to his word or his will. Whew, glory to God. Listen to me. God cannot be glorified apart from his word. He can't be glorified apart from his word. Go to John 15, 17. I'm sorry, John chapter 15, verse 7. John 15, verse 7. Just picking this apart for you today. Now notice that the words here are in red. I have the red letter edition Bible, and if you do too, yours are in red. What does it mean for those who don't know? Amen. That means that Jesus is talking. Jesus is saying this. Listen to this, John 15, 7 now. Jesus said this, if you, if Christians, abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now listen to this. I'm not a mathematician or anything like that, but you could break it up like this. If you were to write that out in an equation format, look at this. 
if you abide in me, then you put a plus sign. And my words abide in you. And then it says, uh, you could put an equal sign. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Did you follow that? If you abide in me, plus, my words abide in you, equals, that, those two things together will equal, you will ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Amen. There's too many Christians who are praying and hoping that they get the answer. You can pray with confidence, you know. It doesn't always have to be a shot in the dark. Now, if you, now if you abide in me, that means to daily live your life to please God. To live according to his word. Remember, God can't be glorified apart from his word. His word is settled forever in heaven, right? Is that what it says? His word is exalted. Now, so listen to me. You will not have the desire to ask for something outside of God's word. If you're abiding in Christ, if you're daily filling yourself with the word, if you're living your life to please him, you're not going to ask for something that's outside of the boundaries of God's word. Amen. Amen. Did you catch that? Now listen to me. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, that the abundance of the heart, he's talking about your spirit. Anywhere you see the word heart in the Bible, it's talking about your spirit. Because the real you, you're a spiritual being. You possess a soul, mind, will, and emotions. And you live in a physical body on this earth. So the real you is a spirit. So the abundance of the heart, or the abundance of your spirit, the mouth speaks. So here Jesus said, words will reveal what's in your heart, right? As you fill yourself with the word of God, you will begin to feel the heartbeat of God. You following me? This is God's word on paper, his thoughts on paper. The heartbeat of God is written all throughout these pages. And I'm telling you this, if you fill yourself with the word of God daily, you're going to ask for things according to the word. And that's why Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will. Why? Because your desires will line up with the word. And that's where you're going to see results. Did you follow that? It's not a big secret. It's not a big secret that so many people, oh, the will of God, we don't know what the... The Word of God is the will of God. Amen. Now, 1 John chapter 3, 22. Mm. The Word of God is the will of God. Uh, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 22 through 24. I like that. As you get into the word and feed on the word, read the word, your heartbeat's going to match God's heartbeat. And you're going to feel about things like God feels about things. Why, why are there so many Christians walking around today who, hate, who don't hate sin, but who are partakers in it? Because they don't have the heartbeat of God. Amen. Right? If you get into the Word and feed on the Word and you see how God hates sin and that it's impossible for God to please sin, you're going to have that same attitude that God does about that topic. 
Amen. That's what the fear of the Lord is, a reverence for him and for what he feels about certain things. There wouldn't be this issue about ordaining homosexual ministers in mainstream denominations. Denominations. Why? They're falling away from the word of God. If they would stick with the word, abide in Christ, they wouldn't have, be having all these foolish discussions about doing this stuff. Amen. That's just the truth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. And whatsoever we ask, he's talking about prayer. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Why? Well, it goes on to say, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He's talking about abiding in Christ. Didn't, didn't Jesus just say, if you abide in me? Right? There it is. Verse 23. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to believe the word of God. Because Jesus is the word. Amen. No, I could go off on that other thing. <laughs> Listen, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, abiding in Christ, and he, uh, and he in him. And hereby we know that, we abide, that he abideth in us by the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, which he has given us. Now, look at verse 23 again. There are two elements in the life of a Christian that always need to be present. If you want an effective prayer life, it's found in verse 23. Look at this. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. First one, faith. Faith must always be present. It says we shall believe on the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Faith is the first element. Always needs to be present. Why? Because faith, without faith, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. Don't try to live a life, Christian life without faith because you're not even pleasing God right from the get-go. <laughs> Amen. Believe what he said. Believe his word. So number one, first element, faith always needs to be present in the life of a Christian. Number two, it says in love one another obedience to the word faith and obedience those are two elements if you don't have you need both of them you can't have faith and not have obedience james says faith without works is dead right you see how how these scriptures are just tying in together you see that amen faith without works is dead so don't say, oh, you have faith all in the world, and the next thing you know, you're at work slinging off four-letter words and saying dirty jokes. No, if you really believe it, you're going to act on it. Amen. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Now, I'm saying a lot of things today. It, it would probably do you some well. We offer free CDs of all my ser services and sermons. 
get a free copy of it. It's free. Just get it. Listen to it. Take notes even afterwards, right? Meditate on the word, as Joshua 1.8 says. Listen. From whence comes, come wars and fightings among you? Come, come they not hence even of your lust, that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have. You cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Verse 3. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers, adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now this scripture is interesting, this passage. This shows us why we don't receive certain things from God. Why our prayers don't get answered. It gives us two reasons why in this scripture. Number one, it says that in verse two, that one reason is because we don't ask. See, that's that person I'm talking about that says, yeah, God knows what I want. That's too simple. Why would I even ask for that? God knows what I need. No, you have not because you ask not. <laughs> you, you ever think of asking about it? Amen. And you will probably after this teaching, right? <laughs> Amen. And number two, verse three it says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. It says, because you ask amiss, and you, you want to consume it upon your own lust or pleasure. Now, don't, don't pervert that. Because God gives us, there's many scriptures in the word, where God gives us the invitation to ask for things, right? Even for us personally. So don't twist that and say, see, we're not supposed to ask for anything, for anything that we want, Right? See, that's the devil who twists and takes one scripture and twists it. That's called perversion. You understand what I'm saying? Well, like I said before, I found that the devil never cross-references. He never rightly divides the word. You understand what I'm saying? He takes out one scripture <laughs> and he twists it. And that's why so many people are believing this junk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. They're not comparing it to the other scriptures. And that's not talking about sickness and disease, by the way. I have a CD on it if you want to request it. Uh, so, verse 3. So, to say that God doesn't want us to ask for things that we desire is not in line with scriptures. Remember, like I said now, we have to rightfully divide the word. One way to do that is to take all the scriptures on a certain topic. Go through the word. Take all the scriptures on a certain topic and come up with a balanced biblical view on that topic. Right? Right. Now, uh, so this scripture here about asking amiss is, listen to this. This is talking about a person asking for an unscriptural request. How can I say that? Because it says he asked amiss. He didn't hit the target. You understand what I'm saying? Now I'm going to get into this here. He was not praying according to the will of God on that situation. Uh, something that is not supported by the word of God. Uh, and also, get this. It says that you may consume it upon your own lust. Not only were they asking for something that was unscriptural, but their motive was wrong. Do you catch that in that verse? That you may consume it upon your own lust, your own pleasure. What's your motive when you ask for something? Right? 
Now, so anyways, this individual, they missed the mark. They missed the bullseye. They didn't even come close. Now, this is interesting. Look how this ties into here. In verse 3, it talks about that. It says about a person who's asking amiss. They missed the mark. And that they would consume it upon their own lust, right? Well, jump down to verse 4 with me now. My evidence here is that those Christians that they're talking about who ask amiss, they're backslidden believers who are full of worldliness and have an unrenewed mind. Notice how it starts out. Now remember, the Bible, God didn't put chapter and verse in the Bible when he wrote it. You understand that? Man put that in. So look at the sentence in verse 3, and look what it jumps onto in verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. I submit to you that verse 3 is talking about verse 4. Someone who's not abiding in Christ. Did you catch that? Because it's the very next verse. Interesting how it talks about that, isn't it? And of course, a person who's backslidden and, and full of worldliness and, and the things of the devil, well, they got an unrenewed mind, right? My next point, to have an effective prayer life, you must renew your mind with the word of God. Go to Romans chapter 12. Let me show you something in there. Romans chapter 12. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night, about renewing your mind if you were here. Awesome. Try to come on Wednesday nights if you're able. We have some great discussions. It's more a laid back, not service type kind of a thing, but it's more of a Bible study kind of sharing some thoughts from others and stuff. It's good. Um, Romans 12, 1 through 2. This scripture talks about renewing your mind. And my point to you is, if you're going to have an effective prayer life, you must renew your mind with the word of God. Listen to me. When you got born again, when you got saved, when you made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, your spirit man became born again. But you have to do something with your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. What do you do? You renew it. How? With the word of God. Listen to this. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's talking to Christians, notice. He says, brethren. He's not talking to the unsaved. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed or put into the mold of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My point is this. Without a renewed mind, you will constantly be asking amiss or missing the mark in prayer. <laughs> Amen. Now, why? Because your mind must be renewed to know the will of God. Look at verse 2. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Well, it goes on to say, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Without a renewed mind, you won't pray in line with the will of God. Amen. Especially if all you do is pray in your natural, praying in your natural language. 
Praying in the natural, it requires it, not praying in tongues. Now, there might be someone here who don't know what I'm talking about, praying in tongues. After you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, every believer who's baptized in the Holy Spirit can pray in tongues. It's different from the gift of tongues, by the way. Don't get thrown off by that. But praying with your natural mind requires, if you're going to be effective in praying in your natural mind, your mind needs to be renewed. But if you're praying in tongues, your mind is, there could be a person with an, a Christian with an unrenewed mind praying in tongues who's praying the perfect will of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit through your spirit's praying the perfect will of God when you're praying in tongues. Did you follow that? That's another topic here. So, but basically, when your spirit prays, uh, your natural mind is being bypassed because you're praying, you're connecting spirit to spirit. And your spirit's born again. Your spirit don't have a problem. Your spirit don't have to be renewed because your spirit's born again when you're a Christian, when you become born again, when you make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Now, why is it so important, though, to know the will of God in prayer? Look at 1 John 5. First John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. My question is, why is it so important to know the will of God to have an effective prayer life? And it's found right here in this verse, these two verses. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, you're still awake this morning. That's a positive sign. <laughs> okay, 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, in God. That if we ask anything according to his will or word, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That's talking about prayer. That tells me in this one verse right here that we can have confidence when we pray. We can know when we're hitting the mark, when we're hitting the bullseye. We can expect answered prayer. What well, says right here, and this is the confidence, or this is the faith that we have in him. Well, how can you have faith for something then? Because you know it's available to you through the word of God. Why? Because faith, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The word of God. The word of God backs our faith as a Christian. That's why I said to have faith for something, you need to know some things from God's word. Because if you don't know that something belongs to you, then it's not a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of hope. And there is no prayer of hope. Faith receives. You understand what I'm saying? So, we don't have to be shooting in the dark all the time. We don't have to do it. We can know, we can have confidence that our prayers are being answered. But you need to know some things from the Word of God. And as you renew your mind with the Word of God, it says then you will be able to know what the perfect will of God is. Acceptable, perfect will of God is. Amen. So we made that point. To, to be effective in prayer, pray in line with God's Word. And my next point here, listen to me. Speak scriptures when you're praying. Confess the word of God when you're praying. I mentioned this before. 
Some of you may have heard this on the radio broadcast. The word confession literally means to say the same thing as or to agree with. And that's why I said today, who, if you heard the radio broadcast today, when you're speaking words of negativity, words of doubt, you're agreeing with the devil. You're agreeing with what he says about your life. But when you speak the scriptures, when you pray according to the word, when you speak scriptures, you're confessing the word. You're agreeing with or you're saying the same thing as what God says about your life. And there's power in that. Amen? Amen. The word of God is referred to in one parable, is referred to as a seed. Right? It's interesting how in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says that you are God's garden. Plant the seed of God's word in your garden, in your heart. And it'll spring forth fruit in your life, in all areas of your life. Do you catch that? <laughs> you see how the word ties in together? That was on purpose, you know. The Holy Ghost was the author, right? Not man. Not the 40 individuals that God used to put his word on paper. Because that's all they were. They were instruments that God used to put his word on paper. The author of the Bible is God himself. The Holy Ghost. Right? There's not one single contradiction from Genesis to Revelation. And if you read something and it sounds like it's contradictory, like, like the Paul's thorn thing, the problem is never with God's word. The problem is with your understanding about it. That's why the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. The Holy Ghost will show you the other scriptures that line what you're reading up with the other scriptures. He will. He'll just do that. So the word of God is referred to as a seed. As you speak the word of God in your prayers, you are planting a seed that will produce a fruit or manifestation in your life. The word of God is supernatural. It's quick or alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, right? Hebrews chapter 12 or 4 verse 12. So as you plant the seed, it will bring forth fruit. Go to Isaiah 55. I want to pull something out here. That was, I, I haven't, I've never seen this until just recently when the Holy Spirit showed me this. Isaiah chapter 55 Verses 11 through 12. And I'm talking about speaking scriptures, speaking the word of God in your prayers, how there's power in it. If you're there, say amen. amen. Verse 11, Isaiah 55, 11 and 12. God says this, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. I submit to you, he's talking about the word of God. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, or accomplish the will of God. And it shall prosper in that thing whereunto I have sent it. As you got to understand this now. When you speak the word of God, or when you speak a word under the anointing, your mouth is hooked up with God's mouth. You're saying, you're confessing God's word. You're saying the same thing as. Did you catch that? I'm not saying we're God. I'm not saying that. 
What I am saying, we are ambassadors for Christ, are we not representatives? And when you speak the word of God, you're saying the same thing as. And he says here, it shall not return void. Meaning it's not, if, if you speak the word in a situation, it, it goes on to say, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper. Meaning when you speak a scripture in your prayer life, when you speak a scripture that's in reference that proves that what you're asking for is backed up by the word, it says it will prosper in that thing. Now, verse 12. The results of speaking, or praying and speaking according to the word of God are found in verse 12. Listen to this. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Do you catch that? The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees and the youth shall clap their hands. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Why? Because you know what you ask for is according to the word. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his word, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Amen. You go out with joy. Faith always has joy attached to it. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Remember when Paul and Silas were in prison? They still had joy. They know they're doing the master's work. Right? When you attach the word of God to your prayers. You know how you send an email, you can send an attachment on that email? When you're praying, attach scriptures to your prayer. And you'll be, you'll go out with joy out of your prayer closet. You'll be led forth with peace. Because you know the word is going to prosper in that thing. That it was sent to do. Now, last thing in closing here. I just want to touch on this because this is very important. What is the biblical or scriptural way to pray for an unsaved person? What is the biblical or scriptural way? Should you just simply pray, Lord, I pray that Jenny would get saved. Amen. No. We need to dig a little deeper than that. We need to be a little bit more specific. Be specific in your prayers. God likes it when you're specific, right? Listen to this. Now, it is very clear in God's word that it's his will for all to be saved, is it not? It said Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, right? And whosoever comes. But notice something there, important principle. It says Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Is the whole world saved? No, mankind needs to tap in to the salvation power of God through Jesus Christ, right? The Bible says that by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Is every Christian in here healed this morning? Well, according to the word, yeah, but experientially, no. We have to appropriate that benefit. You have to tap into it, just like you have to tap into salvation, even though Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, right? But anyways, we know that it's God's will for all to be saved and that he gave, you know, his only begotten son. He so loved the world. And uh, so we know that's, that's settled. We have scriptures to back up. We know it's God's will for every person to be saved. Okay? So we don't have to wonder when we're praying for an unsaved person. Is it God's will for them to be saved? <laughs> right? Okay. Number two, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 reveals to us that it is Satan and demonic spirits now who blind the minds of unbelievers, right? 
2 Corinthians 4, 4. Read it for yourself. It says that they are in darkness. And Ephesians 6, 12 reveals to me and to us that we are fighting a spiritual battle, not an earthly fight. You understand what I'm saying? Not in the natural, that there's a spiritual war going on. You wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, wickedness in high places. Okay? So, we know it's God's will to be, for every person to be saved. We know that Satan's trying to blind those individuals from coming to the knowledge of the truth. Number three, in Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power, or authority, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, Satan and demonic spirits. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. All right? And then in Matthew 9, 38, Jesus even goes a bit further and gives us instructions on how to pray for the unsaved. He said to pray that laborers would be sent into the harvest. Did you follow that? See what I'm doing here? I'm gathering information from God's word that's going to help me pray effectively according to the word of God. All right? So... You need to gather some scriptures, because scriptures are going to build your faith anyways. Um, so, I know now that I have a scriptural basis to pray for the unsaved. And uh, when you do that, you know something's going to be happening. Now, I want to tell you this. When you're praying for an unsaved person, we never have control over a free will of an individual. Do you understand? That's witchcraft. We don't have control over the free will of a person. You won't do it. But uh, ultimately what we're doing, we're praying effective prayer to cover our bases. We know that when we pray for that unsaved person, that the forces of hell have to loose their grip on them. We're commanding blinders to come off of them. Right? So we're using our authority. And then we pray for laborers to be sent in their path so they can hear the word and be saved. So we're not, when you're praying for an unsaved person, you're not controlling the will. It's ultimately, it's up to that individual to submit their free will to God's will. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just wanted to touch on that. I felt like I needed to do that. Let's all stand in this place <coughs> this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done today. Father, we count it in honor, us believers in this race, we count it in honor to labor with you on this earth. This is the air I breathe. Father, we know that you are the one that put that into motion. So obviously it's important to this you that we labor, we partner with you. Father, I'm asking for the people in this place today. Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would show them the areas of their life that they need to work on. And that they would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit as believers. Now, there may be someone in here today. You said, you know, Pastor James, that sounds great and wonderful. Unlimited power, wow. But I'm not even in the family of God. I have never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm outside of the covenant. But today, you want to make that decision. You want to make that choice. You want to take that step and make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you, I want you to come down to this altar right here to the right. And I'm going to pray with you.
privately this morning that you will know the Savior as Lord of your life. You know you can't do it your own way anymore. Everything you've tried in your own strength has failed. You need the Savior. Now there might be someone in here who you say, Pastor James, I've been a Christian for many, many years, but I've fallen away from the truth. I'm one of those backslidden Christians that you were talking about, and I'm miserable, and I'm ready to come back home to Father's house this morning. If that's you, you want to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to come down over here in the corner on the right, and I want to pray with you to rededicate your life to the Lord. There may be someone in here who, you, you've been a Christian for a while, for years maybe even, and you never heard of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus said in Acts 1-8 that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come, what? Upon you. You see, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit came in your spirit to live in you, but now he wants to come upon you and do you with power from on high. Why? To be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see the power of God loosed in your life? You want to be an effective witness for Jesus? You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God wouldn't have made it available if it wasn't his will for all of his people to do it or to have it. If you want to receive him, the Holy Spirit, you see you receive him and the power comes with him, the Holy Spirit. If you want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want you to come down to this altar right here to the right. And I want to pray with you to receive him, the Holy Spirit. There may be someone in here who needs a physical healing. You need a miracle in your life. Any other prayer request. And you want me to come into agreement with you. I want you to come down and stand to the right. I'm going to open up the altar now for all of those, all of you who have heard this word. And today you're going to commit to partner with God as a believer. You're going to commit to do what he tells you to do. I want you to come down to this altar and you're, you're making a declaration by doing that. God, I'm going to partner with you and your will will be fulfilled through my life. I'm going to do everything I can do on my part. If, that, if you're a believer today, you want to commit to the Lord, come down here to this altar. down to this altar making a declaration who cares what anyone else thinks around you this is between you and the Lord this morning we're not playing church we are the church amen if you want to walk in that power that God has for you and you want to declare it come down to this altar in Jesus name
Without him, we're lost. Without that fellowship, without that relationship, that intimate relationship with him, friends, we're living on an earth where we need to stay close to the Lord. We need to stay close to him. It's too easy to get sucked away from his plan, his will. Everyone repeat this after me in this place. Heavenly Father, I confess to you now, I declare to you that I will be your partner, empowered with the Holy Spirit. Your will will be done in my life. And everywhere I go, I will see to it that I will do all that I can to make sure that your will comes to pass. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone up here who needed personal prayer or anything like that? I'd want to make sure. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry to go deeper with Him? There's a deeper walk. And we're all going to go together. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you may go back to your seats. and God is good. Amen. Visitors, thank you so much for coming today. I hope you were blessed. Like I said, if you want to request a copy of the message, there's a sign-up sheet on that back table over there. And uh, if you want parts one, two, and three, go ahead. Just write it on that paper back there. Remember, some things will not come to pass in your life unless you ask. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Isn't that what the word says? Amen. Know who you are in Christ. Know your benefits. And come on back. God bless you. Come, try to come Wednesday night, 6 o'clock prayer, 7 o'clock video. God bless you. Drive safe. Amen.